This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Washington Today for January 30th, 2023. I'm Gary Sterkoff. Thanks a lot for listening. Here are some headlines. A sixth Memphis police officer has been relieved of duty in connection to the death of Tyree Nichols. His name is Preston Hemphill, and body camera video released on Friday shows Officer Hemphill firing a stun gun at Tyree Nichols as he initially ran from officers during the January 7th traffic stop. Officer Hemphill joins five other men who were fired on January 20th after an investigation found that they had violated department policy on the use of force. We'll have reaction from Capitol Hill on the death of Tyree Nichols coming up. Congress is back to work this week. The House will debate several financial and technology-related measures. Senate lawmakers are working off the floor, setting committee assignments for the 118th Congress. A floor vote is needed to approve them. Meanwhile, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy told CBS News yesterday that he is looking forward to discussing, quote, reasonable and responsible ways that we can lift the debt ceiling when he meets with President Biden on Wednesday. The speaker said he wants spending cuts to go along with raising the debt limit, even though the White House has ruled out linking those two issues. We'll have more on this from Bloomberg's Stephen Dennis coming up. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Jerusalem and urging both Israelis and Palestinians to ease tensions and reaffirming a two-state solution as the best path forward for peace. We'll hear what Secretary Blinken had to say about the recent violence in the Middle East following a meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu coming up. But we begin today with the news that a sixth Memphis police officer has been relieved of duty in connection to the death of Tyree Nichols. Body camera video released Friday shows the officer, identified by both his by both police and his attorney, as Preston Hemphill, firing a stun gun at Tyree Nichols as he ran from officers during a January 7th traffic stop. Now, five other officers, Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith, were all fired on January 20th after an administrative investigation found they had violated the department's policy on the use of force. Those men have been charged with second-degree murder, two counts of official misconduct, two counts of uh, aggravated kidnapping, one count of official oppression, and one count of aggravated assault. All six men were hired by the Memphis Police Department between 2017 and 2020. And here in Washington, more response to, Ty- response to Tyree Nichols' death coming from both sides of the aisle. Yesterday, House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan said on Meet the Press that, quote, I don't know that any there's any law that can stop the evil we saw. And today, House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer talked about whether his committee would be looking into Tyree Nichols' death. We also have a question if you're planning any oversight into Tyree Nichols' uh, death. Um, obviously, it was a very of what now? Uh, the the death of um, the video that was released this past week of police beating a man. If this is something that does I, I would say murder, that would fall under judiciary if it fell under any committee. Well, you guys, I mean, you you share, right? Yep. I mean, there's there's been well, definitely been overlap with oversight, judiciary, oversight, foreign affairs. 
it makes your committee very interesting, but it also gives you. Well, we've got a lot of oversight we've got to do with respect to wasteful spending. And uh, I think, you know, I've said we have the bandwidth to do a lot of different investigations and probes, and we will, but that's something that would fall under another committee. We're, we're going, one of the roles that McCarthy asked me to play is to make sure that every committee has an oversight subcommittee. Hmm. So to make sure that uh, those subcommittees have plenty of, of work to do as well. Uh, there are a lot of things we'll do in partnership. The oversight committee, we have the biggest staff, we have staff full of investigators. So we will help other committees that are investigating different things that fall into their legislative jurisdiction. Uh, we just wanna make sure that uh, you know, we're working together. We don't want to overreach in the other committees' areas of jurisdiction. But uh, but with respect to that, I, I would assume that would fall under judiciary. I mean, you, you are good friends there with Chairman Jim Jordan. Would He's you, on my committee. He's on oversight committee. Would you encourage him to use his powers with the Judiciary Committee to look into that? I'm, I'm not a Judiciary Committee member. I, would, I mean, Jim's going to. I, I encourage Jim to work with me on, on the stuff that we're looking into in oversight. I stay out of his business in judiciary. Okay, so you don't think it's necessarily something you should be looking I, into? I, I haven't even thought about it, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I was asked about it. It's a terrible thing. Uh, certainly, there are bad apples in, in every profession, bad politicians, bad police officers, uh, and they need to be held accountable. So I'm, I'm confident those police officers are going to be held accountable. One thing that I think, you asked my opinion, I think we need to have data and to share that data with police forces all around the United States on officers that are written up for excessive force because there's a shortage of police officers right now. And what happens a lot in Kentucky anyway is that police officers will start out in one police force and then they'll move around a lot to make more money or maybe they don't get along with the police chief or whatever but there's a lot of uh, turnover with respect to law enforcement people so we need to make sure if someone shows up in a new city that says I work so many years at another police force I think we need to make sure that they're doing the background checks and the reference checks to make sure that uh, you know there wasn't any anything controversial with that police officer somewhere else but, again, I'm not an expert on that issue. House Oversight Chair James Comer of Kentucky speaking today at the National Press Club. We'll hear more from him later in the program about his committee's investigations into President Biden. And word this morning that Tyree Nichols' parents have accepted an invitation to attend President Biden's State of the Union address next week. Here's Congressional Black Caucus Chair Stephen Horsford of Nevada. Yes, it is time for Congress to act. That is why I spoke to the Nichols family uh, yesterday. I made sure that they knew that we are standing with them on this important matter. Uh, obviously, we send our condolences for the loss of their son, Tyree, but we are going to take action. And first, it's about making sure that the president knows that this is an important enough issue for him to talk about at the State of the Union. I have invited the Nichols family as the guest of the Congressional Black Caucus, so they will be there on that day to hear from the president and from members of Congress on both sides of the aisle how we will finally take action uh, to keep our community safe. Mr. Chairman, and as you talk about uh, the president's address, the State of the Union, and uh, the Black Caucus has asked for a meeting with him before that, 
civil rights leaders are going to be asking for that today. The eight organizations that have worked toward the George Floyd bill and met with him to get his support there uh, want to see him before that. And I was on the call with you and the family last night when they agreed to come to the State of the Union. How important is it now to get the Congress, the House, and the Senate to deal with police reform in a real way that can pass so that we do not end up frustrating uh, people again by getting almost there as we did with George Floyd. We, the whole world said this was a, a moment of inflection and we can move forward and it didn't happen. How do we and you and the caucus, 58 members, we never had 58 black caucus members before, how can you impact your colleagues that we must pass real legislation in this moment? Well, thank you, Reverend Sharpton, and thank you for helping to bring uh, us together with the family for uh, that important conversation and to make sure that they know we are standing with them. And I asked them, as you know, what do they want? And they said we want action, meaningful action. And so your question is about what are we going to do? First is we'll, we'll be reaching out to Senator Tim Scott to, to initiate negotiations on uh, principles around the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. The president, the White House, has reached out to indicate their uh, desire to meet on this important issue. And we are working, as you indicated, with outside groups to make sure that everyone knows now is the time for action. This is about people being safe. Look, Tyree was a son. He was a father. He had a purpose and a passion. He loved skateboarding and he loved the sunsets and photographing those sunsets. In fact, he was only 80 yards away from his mother's house when he cried out to his mama after leaving a sunset. He should be alive today and there is no action that condones what happened in Memphis. But it's not only what happens in Memphis, it's what happens all across this country virtually every single day. So we will work in a bipartisan way, not only in his legacy, but in the legacy of so many other lives that have been lost. It's time for action now. Congressional Black Caucus Chair Stephen Horsford of Nevada on MSNBC earlier today. Congress is back to work this week. The House is debating several financial and technology-related measures. Later this week, members will consider four pandemic-related bills. Two of those bills would end the COVID-19 public health and national emergencies declared by President Trump in 2020. The other would end the healthcare worker vaccination rule and require federal employees to return to the office. In the Senate, lawmakers are working off the floor, setting committee assignments for the 118th Congress. A floor vote is needed to approve them. And as the government nears its debt limit, nearly half of the Senate Republican Conference has signed a letter to President Biden warning they will not vote to raise the debt limit unless it's connected to spending cuts. The letter, led by Senators Mike Lee of Utah and Ted Budd of North Carolina, says in part, quote, We, the undersigned members of the Senate Republican Conference, write to express our outright opposition to a debt ceiling hike without real structural spending reform that reduces deficit spending and brings fiscal sanity back to Washington. The letter also supports Speaker Kevin McCarthy's effort to negotiate fiscal reforms with the White House in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. Here's Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer talking about the debt ceiling during his leader time remarks on the floor. On the debt ceiling. 
Madam President, one of Congress's top priorities this year is ensuring the United States does not default on its debt for the first time in our history. Even approaching a default would be disastrous for American families. The damages will show up on everything from people's credit card bills, their mortgage rates, and when applying for things as basic as a car loan. It risks thousands of dollars lit on fire for millions of American families. Everyone's life in this country will take many steps backward if we default. Now, Republicans have done a lot of talking about cuts, but when it comes to actually showing us a plan for de avoiding default, they're playing a dangerous game. Republicans, it is time to come out of hiding, put pen to paper, and show us your plan. Republicans, show us your plan. According to some reports, Republicans want significant cuts across the board. But from where? Is funding our troops safe? We don't know. Republicans, show us the plan. Is funding for police and firefighters and first responders safe? Republicans, show us the plan. Is funding for Social Security and Medicare safe, which some in that party, particularly on the MAGA wing, said should be cut? We don't know. Show us the plan. The silence is unacceptable because the American people have a right to know whether they're going to see crucial services suddenly dry up. And if Republicans don't get their way, Americans have a right to know whether, the, whether or not the hard right GOPers are really prepared to lead the House Republican con Conference to push the U.S. default, and whether the Republican House, led by McCarthy, will follow them over that devastating cliff, sending costs spiking on everything from credit cards to auto loans to mortgages. Part of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's leader time remarks, some notable names not on this Republican letter, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and two important members of his inner circle, Republican Whip John Thune of South Dakota and John Cornyn of Texas. Here's part of Leader McConnell's remarks during his leader time on the floor. Remember, on day one in office, President Biden counseled further work on the Keystone XL pipeline with a stroke of a pen. Forget safe and efficient energy transport, high-paying American jobs, and lower-cost reliable power, the president had already put climate activism in the driver's seat of his own energy policy. The Biden administration has frozen new oil exploration on public lands, overhauled permitting rules to make it harder, harder to develop natural gas resources, dragged the United States back into a climate deal that gives the Chinese Communist Party a pass to keep increasing its carbon emissions, and balked, balked at a chance to block Vladimir Putin's latest pipeline for controlling European consumption. It's an absolutely nonsensical agenda, and it hasn't taken long for families across our country to feel the direct effects in the form of soaring prices in their heating and electricity bills, at the gas pump, as well as at the grocery store. Fortunately, millions of working Americans were fed up last November and decided to put an end to Democrats' total control here in Washington. Republicans will stand strong on the side of American energy dominance, on the side of national security, 
on the side of American workers, American families, and America's future. Part of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's leader time remarks on the floor earlier today. And with more on where the president and Speaker McCarthy stand on the debt ceiling, here's Bloomberg congressional reporter Stephen Dennis. Definitely the most important thing that happens this week. You know, you can't pass a law without these two men, and we need to pass a law. (laughs) Uh, Joe Biden's position is the position that Barack Obama had in his second term, which is that he will not negotiate concessions for releasing the hostage of the debt limit. And Kevin McCarthy, the new speaker, new house, is saying, hey, you've got to uh, negotiate. That's how our democracy works. We've got to find compromises. We need to uh, try to cut spending, reduce the deficit, and come to an accommodation and a deal. And what the Republicans want, ultimately, is a deal that lays out a path to a balanced budget. Now, when you have a trillion dollars a year in deficits, as far as the eye can see, that's not really likely to happen in the next few months. Uh, But, you know, a lot of times these negotiations start off with each side saying no at each other, and then you get a lot more no's, and then maybe you get closer to a deadline and people start getting upset and markets start reacting, and eventually you get to some kind of an accommodation. I mean, it is always possible that other things get it added to a debt limit, you know, bill. And then if the Democrats get some things and the Republicans get some things, maybe you could see something happening. But, you know, this is something that's going to be basically the big topic for the next several months, at least until June. That's when, you know, the first moment when we might actually hit that cliff. We saw then the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell say last week in regard to these discussions, it's basically between their two men and they seem to be staying out of it for now. And that's what he did in 2011. I mean, Mitch McConnell, back when John Boehner was there with the new House, and they were intent on cutting the deficit. They actually wanted to pass a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution before raising the debt limit. They had a cut cap and balance bill. It was actually much more ambitious than what Kevin McCarthy is talking about, which is more of a modest caps deal on spending. Uh, You know, I, I, I think McConnell is sort of in the wings, and if the House is unable to get its act together, unable to pass anything, uh, there is a chance that McConnell, in the end, could pick up the phone to Joe Biden and try to craft a deal that they think maybe enough folks in the House would accept. Uh, in light of that, you and others at Bloomberg uh, have a story published today about the options now that the, the government may consider when taking care of these issues. Uh, what's the genesis of the story? What are you writing? Yeah, so basically a lot of folks have been talking about ways to bypass the House of Representatives. Because it's very inconvenient that you have a House of Representatives that disagrees with you uh, that you need to raise the debt limit. And there are various ways that people have been talking about that you could raise cash to keep paying the bills. One of them, which has been pretty popular on social media, is called minting platinum coins or mint the coin. There's an old law from decades ago that gives the Secretary of the Treasury the ability to mint platinum coins of any denomination. Theoretically, she she could mint a trillion-dollar coin, place it in the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve credits our accounts, and we can keep paying the bills. Uh, There are some problems with that. Uh, You'd have to sort of figure out how to not have that add to inflation. Usually minting money to pay your bills not really a great thing for economies around the world, and it could shake confidence in U.S. Uh, credit. Uh, 
So it's not a great option, but it is theoretically possible. Uh, there's another option called premium bonds, and this is sort of a way to disguise the size of the debt. And basically you would say, okay, we're gonna issue new bonds and we're gonna pay an extra 100% or something in interest on those bonds. Just, we're gonna guarantee an extra 100% interest. Well, the, the value that investors would put on those bonds would be much higher. They'll pay this giant premium, but that premium won't count against the nameplate debt, uh, against the debt limit. So theoretically, you could refinance lots and lots of bonds doing this in sort of a shell game and suddenly that $31 trillion debt would look much smaller even though in reality you're in the exact same uh, financial position. You really do still owe that $31 trillion. It's just you've, you've gone through some games to make it look smaller and you would potentially also have the rest of the world saying, hey, this isn't really what, you know, the economy that we all put our money in and the dollar that we all trust, that that's not what we want to see. And, and there's a potential that that could cause higher interest rates because people would have less confidence. Legislatively, uh, bills that could be debated this week, Stephen Dennis, both deal with the pandemic. One would end the, pen, the public health emergency and the national emergency that was declared by President Trump related to COVID-19. What's the messaging behind uh, the, these bills to end pandemic? That yeah, so uh, basically the House Republicans have several bills related to this, and they are trying to basically say that the pandemic is over, that we should not be uh, still using emergency authorities from 2020, that federal workers should have to show up for work, uh, they want to revert to the leave policies of 2019, a lot of federal workers are working from home these days. And, and so they call, call it the show up to work act, I think is what they call mm -hmm. that one. So, the, the, and then there's also one on vaccine mandates on healthcare workers. Uh, so th these are all things that Republicans have been talking about campaigning on. And the, the, the problem for them is they only have the house. The, most of these things are not going anywhere in the Senate. And even if they did, you know, if you're repealing an executive order and you need the executive to sign your bill or else you need two-thirds to override we all know how a bill becomes a law and they don't have that so you know i, I think you know it's going to be interesting to see when people put out their press releases and their fundraising emails i just did x uh you know you see that a lot when a new house takes over where people are like we've done all these things but until you actually accomplish a law then it's just you know sort of a well-organized press release. And that's where things like the debt limit and the big budget fight uh, later this year when the government, you know, the year expires September 30th, they're gonna have to pass a law to keep the government operating after that. And a lot of these things are gonna be in those fights. Bloomberg congressional reporter Stephen Dennis on today's Washington Journal. You can see more at cspan.org forward slash Washington Journal. You're listening to Washington Today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Washington Today. Here are some more of today's headlines. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer said he is pursuing a bipartisan bill on classified documents reform. Chair Comer said the goal is to make sure presidential and vice presidential offices do not improperly retain classified documents after they leave office. We'll hear more from his appearance at the National Press Club on this topic coming up. President Biden is in Baltimore today highlighting projects being built with money from the 2021 bipartisan infrastructure law. The event is the first of two this week. He'll be in New York tomorrow. We'll hear from the president in Baltimore also coming up. Australia and France have agreed to jointly manufacture and supply thousands of artillery shells to the Ukrainian army. The first shipment of the 155-millimeter shells is expected to be delivered to Kyiv within the next two months. They will be able to be used by French, American, and German artillery that has already been supplied to Ukrainian forces. Nearly all of the nation's coal-fired power plants are less cost-effective to operate than constructing new solar or wind facilities. That's according to a study published by the firm Energy Innovation. Analysts compared operating costs at the 210 coal plants in the continental U.S. that were operating in 2021 to the estimated costs of developing new solar and wind in the same region. And they determined that 209 of the plants were costlier to run than either wind or solar would be. Overall, the median cost for coal-fired plants is $36 per megawatt hour compared to $24 per megawatt hour for new solar. The single plant that's cost competitive? Wyoming's Dry Fork Station, which is one of the nation's newest and cleanest coal-powered plants. But it is still only $0.32 per megawatt hour cheaper than a regional wind power station would be. In Baltimore, President Biden today was highlighting replacement of an old rail tunnel with help from the bipartisan infrastructure law that he signed in 2021. Trains crawl at 30 miles per hour through the 150-year-old Baltimore and Potomac Tunnel as it curves under West Baltimore and creating delays up and down the busy Northeast Rail Corridor. A plan to replace it has been delayed for years without viable funding. Here's more from the president. When the project is done, new trains will travel through this this tunnel at 110 miles an hour instead of 30 miles an hour. Mark trains will go from here to Washington in 30 minutes. On an average weekday, that will eliminate nearly seven hours a day. The Frederick Douglass Tunnel will be all electric and will continue to invest in rail to make it easier for people to use its potential to take thousands of vehicles, thousands of vehicles off the highways, including the interstate, save millions of barrels of oil, reducing pollution. Pollution. All the studies show if you can get from point A to point B by rail faster than you can by automobile, you take the rail. This is going to be a game changer for the environment as well. And so this is what we're doing across the country, not just here. Tomorrow I'll be in New York for a similar announcement, the Hudson Tunnel Project and a critical juncture in the Northeast Corridor. Earlier this month I was in Kentucky with the Republican leader, and they're standing there and Republican governor and also Democratic leaders. Over a billion dollars is being spent on the Brent Spence Bridge over the Ohio River connecting Ohio and Kentucky. We're repairing the original bridge and building an entirely new one parallel to it. Each day, trucks carry about $2 billion worth of freight across that bridge from Florida to Canada. And it was built 60 years ago. 
Folks have been talking about fixing it for decades, but now we're finally going to get it done. And we're not stopping there. We're closing the digital divide. Nearly 175,000 households in Maryland who haven't had access to high-speed internet are now getting access to it through the infra this infrastructure law, bipartisan infrastructure law. And our broadband program is estimated to create 200,000 jobs across the country just putting it in the ground. And it's all union work. And today, and today, we're announcing a nearly $4 million grant to the great HBCU in Baltimore, Coppin State University, to buy new laptops to give students digital skills and training that they need to compete in today's workplace. Today's event is the first of two this week for the president that are focused on infrastructure. He'll be in New York to talk about a rail tunnel. On, he'll be in New York tomorrow to talk about a rail tunnel under the Hudson River. Back in D.C., House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer said he is pursuing a bipartisan bill on classified documents reform. Chair Comer said the goal is to make sure presidential and vice presidential offices do not improperly retain classified documents after they leave office. His comments came as the Oversight Committee prepares for a transcribed interview with the National Archives General Counsel Gary Stern tomorrow. Representative Comer appeared at the National Press Club. And I know that, of course, this is, well, it sounds like the legislation would be a little bit about process, but I'm also wondering if there needs to be perhaps stronger repercussions. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who now sits on the Oversight Committee, um, suggested to C-SPAN that Biden's handling of classified documents is an impeachable offense. Do you agree with that? I, you know, it's impeachable if he was using those documents in a way to profit for his family, which there's no, no evidence that happened. But that's something that I think needs to be looked into. And when you say looked into, I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that particular investigation mm -hmm. and what what you are looking for specifically? Yeah, I mean, we've tried to be transparent with this. This family has made millions and millions of dollars from from China. Uh, you look at the at the wire transfers. The the money was going from China to different LLCs, then to pay both Hunter Biden and uh, Jim Biden salaries for consulting. You know, we'd like to know what that consulting was. I mean, I, I feel like if China or anyone pays you millions of dollars, they expect to get a return on that investment. And I don't know what that return was. We, we want to find out. And now this administration's had every opportunity to say, yes, you know, the, the president or, or the Jean-Pierre or whoever they've hired to be the hatchet man to attack the investigators, they could say, look, this is legitimate work. They, they, Hunter Biden's a you know, crackerjack lawyer, and he deserved to be paid you know, $80,000 from uh, this LLC for legal services, and he knows more about energy policy than anybody in the world, and that's why he was making $80-some-thousand-dollars with Burisma. I mean, if they would explain that, then I think that uh, a lot of these problems would... Uh, subside a little bit but all they do is just like roll their eyes and like, well, the audacity of republicans to ask these questions democrats ask the question of kushner with a, a loan to saudi arabia i'll say this i know what business kushner's in i can go and i can t see apartments and complexes and i'm not saying it's right i think that in the end of this investigation there's another legislative fix there's two legislative fixes that i think we can do in the oversight committee pertaining to what's going on right now in the news 
that will be bipartisan is a legislative fix on how documents leave the office of the president and vice president and follow them to the private sector, and a, a legislative fix on influence peddling. What is acceptable and what isn't acceptable? And the odds are high that in the future, there are going to be more presidents in business that have immediate family members that have international businesses because most businesses are international now. When I had cattle, I was, I was selling cattle to Mexico. I mean, you know, it, it's a global market now. But the, the, uh, there needs to be more disclosure laws. If a, a family member gets a loan, we need to determine if that's legal or not. And at the very least, the media should know what the terms of that loan are. So when you look at Kushner, and again, I'm not defending it, I know what business he was in. He's in the real estate business. What business is Hunter Biden in? I would argue it's influence peddling, and I've got a problem with that. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer speaking at the National Press Club. You can see the entire event at cspan.org. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Jerusalem today, urging both Israelis and Palestinians to ease tensions that have flared up in recent days and reaffirming a two-state solution as the best path forward for peace. Following a meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he spoke to the media. We'll also discuss the deteriorating security situation in the West Bank, uh, the ongoing cycle of violence that has claimed innocent lives. It's incumbent on all parties to take urgent steps to de-escalate tensions, establish conditions for the security and stability that both Israelis and Palestinians uh, deserve. As I discussed with uh, both the Prime Minister and the Foreign Minister, uh, we'll uh, do the same with uh, President Abbas. Uh, The United States stands ready to support the parties in this vital effort. Uh, Another priority in our conversation uh, and throughout my trip will be advancing integration and cooperation throughout the region. Uh, I look forward to discussing with the foreign minister how we can build on last month's truly historic meeting in Abu Dhabi of the Negev Forum Working Groups, together with our partners from Bahrain, Egypt, Morocco, the United Arab Emirates. Um, We came together and more officials from those countries in Israel together in the same place than at any time since the Madrid conference many decades ago. The goal for both of us, is to expand the circle of peace, and we're determined to pursue that. So there's a lot of ground to be covered uh, in what I'm sure will be the first of many uh, meetings in the, uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, but let me also just conclude where I, I started the day uh, at the airport, which is to reiterate the deep condolences of the United States, its government, and its people for the seven Israelis who were murdered by a terrorist few days ago. We stand in solidarity uh, with all the people of Israel. As they confront terrorism, uh, we will do so together. Thank you. Secretary Blinken also restated Washington's belief that a two-state solution was the only way to finally resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. These efforts are not a substitute for progress between Israelis and Palestinians. But as we advance Israel's integration, We can do so in ways that improve the daily lives of Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. And that's crucial to moving toward our enduring goal of Palestinians and Israelis enjoying equal measures of freedom, security, opportunity, justice, and dignity. President Biden remains fully committed to that goal. We continue to believe that the best way to achieve it is through preserving and then realizing the vision of two states. As I said to the Prime Minister, anything that moves us away from that vision 
is, in our judgment, detrimental to Israel's long-term security and its long-term identity as a Jewish and democratic state. That's why we're urging uh, all sides uh, now to take urgent steps to restore calm, to de-escalate. Um, we want to make sure that there's an environment in which uh, we can, I hope, at some point create the conditions where we can start to restore a sense of security for Israelis and Palestinians alike, which, of course, is sorely lacking. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Kremlin officials today denied former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's claim that Russian President Vladimir Putin made a veiled threat to fire a missile at the United Kingdom. The former prime minister said in a BBC interview that the interaction came in a phone call about three weeks before Russia invaded Ukraine. Boris Johnson said, quote, he threatened me at one point, referring to President Vladimir Putin. I don't uh, I don't want to hurt you, but with a missile, it would only take a minute it, or something like that. That is the quote from former Prime Minister Johnson. And with the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine just weeks away, Anatoly Fedoruk, the mayor of the Kiev suburb of Bukha, discussed alleged war, Russia war crimes. Here are his remarks through a translator. And as, as a, civilized, a civilized person, you may have asked quite a logical pers- uh, question. Uh, why would they do this against those civil people that have done nothing and they have nothing to do with the military? And the answer is uh, quite obvious in this case, um, that uh, for all of the crimes that uh, have been done by Russia be- before, they have never been punished and they have never been brought to the war tribunal. Um, even between themselves, they were talking and saying the Russian phrase, the war will write it all off. So uh, um, kill, rape and loot. Um, the war, it, it's always terrible and it always brings a lot of pain. But uh, more, all in all, there are still some rules that must exist. Uh, but uh, uh, for, for the Russians, there were no basically the rules. They have been shelling also the green corridors uh, through which uh, thousands of people were trying to escape and evacuate themselves. And they have been uh, shelling on, on international car, international missions cars, on Red Cross uh, cars. And th- those were not just cars, they were the school buses that were trying to um, evacuate evacuate the people, um, so they have literally no rules. But even though we have not managed to obtain an official uh, permit from the Russian side to um, to evacuate the people, we have managed to uh, to do so uh, for around about five fifty thousand of the of the citizens of our uh, city, and uh, um, around about three thousand still remained in the city uh, while it was occupied. Uh, 419 people were killed, civilians were killed during the occupation, intentionally killed by the Russian uh, occupational troops. These were men, women, and very unfortunately, children. Um, It's important to have uh, the balance in all of this. Uh, Either it is now or after the victory, um, we will rebuild. We will do everything, uh, but we will not uh, will not forgive for what 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 happened. And um, and those who are guilty uh, for everything what has been done, they must be uh, punished. Uh, All those who have uh, given orders and all those who have actually done those crimes must be punished and must be brought to the war tribunal. As the Nazism was uh, punished and judged, uh, the same must be done with the Russism, and so that we can, for the next uh, 10 years, live in, in peace. 
The mayor of Buka, Ukraine, speaking through a translator, Anatoly Fedoruk, earlier today at the Wilson Center. You can see the whole event at cspan.org. And finally, this year's Super Bowl matchup is set with the Philadelphia Eagles defeating the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs beating the Cincinnati Bengals in games yesterday. And last night, those wins were celebrated in New York City when the, the Empire State Building lit up with colors of the Philadelphia Eagles, green and white. Well, that prompted a response from New York Governor Kathy Hochul, who is a vocal fan of the Buffalo Bills. She was not happy about that, tweeting, quote, To be clear, New York State has no control over how the Empire State Building lights its colors, alongside a rolling eyes emoji. A few hours later, the building was also seen in the red and white for the Kansas City Chiefs and tweeted, quote, That hurt us more than it hurt you. We'll see what color the building takes on after the Eagles play the Chiefs on February 12th in Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona. A reminder that you can find this program as a podcast at cspan.org forward slash podcast. It's also on our C-SPAN Now mobile app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like more on the stories that are shaping Washington, you can subscribe to C-SPAN's evening newsletter, word for word. Just go to cspan.org slash connect to subscribe. I'm Gary Sterkoff. Thanks a lot for listening today to Washington Today.